The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community. We are the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, Well, if you've ever listened to our show, you've probably heard me say that there are over 12 million cancer survivors living in the United States today, more than ever before in our history. Uh, Most of us will be touched by a cancer diagnosis sometime within our life through a family member, through a friend, a colleague living with the disease. Uh, And for most people who develop cancer, the the cancer-causing gene mutations happen over the course of a lifetime, leading to cancer uh, later in life. It's something that we call sporadic cancer. However, some people are born with an inherited change in their genes, which is commonly referred to as a genetic mutation. This quote-unquote damaged gene puts them at a higher risk for developing cancer than most people. When cancer occurs because of an inherited gene mutation, it is often referred to as hereditary cancer, and that's really going to be the topic of our show today. Um, On the show, which is being brought to you in part by Myriad Genetics, we will be focusing on hereditary cancer. We will be looking at breast and ovarian cancer specifically and the role that genetic testing plays in assessing one's risk for developing cancer. But before we get into the discussion, I just want to take a moment to review some of the facts. Again, I know some of this sounds fairly complicated, but uh, our guests are going to help us sort through uh, all of it today so folks can really understand this important important and and emerging topic. Uh, Almost, uh, although most cancers are not inherited, about 5% of people who have breast cancer and about 10% of women who have ovarian cancer have hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, HBOC. Uh, HBOC is an inherited, inherited tendency to develop breast, ovarian, and, and potentially other cancers. Um, more than 300,000 women in the United States have genetic mutations. One of two DNA repair genes known as breast cancer susceptibility genes 1 and 2. Sometimes you'll hear these and oftentimes referred to as BRCA1 or BRCA2. Um, You know, the research really confirms that women who carry specific BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations face a much higher risk of some cancers, including potentially 60% lifetime risk of breast cancer or higher, and then 15 to 40% of uh, lifetime risk of ovarian cancer. Um, In the next hour, you will hear from two fantastic guests about the relationship 
to hereditary cancer and their work within this area. And it is really our hope that by the end of the show, you will feel informed about hereditary cancer. Um, you will have a better understanding of the decision-making that surrounds genetic testing. And um, we want to make sure we're pointing to, you some, to some important resources on this topic. So first we have Kate Stern Gonzalez. Uh, in early 2008, Kate tested positive for the BRCA1 gene mutation and she opted for a what's called a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy and that's where Kate really made a decision to have both of her breasts removed even though there was no cancer present. She's going to tell us more about her own uh, experience. And upon uh, testing positive for the gene mutation, Kate founded a local support group for women at high risk for breast and ovarian cancer at one of our local affiliates, the Wellness Community of Cincinnati. The support group uh, was made possible through support from Bright Pink, a nonprofit organization that provides education and support to young women who are at high risk for breast and ovarian cancer. And currently, Kate serves as the ambassador of Bright Pink in Cincinnati, and they are a true partner to the cancer support community. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. We are also joined by Dr. Karen Hurley, whose research and clinical work for the past 10 years has focused on uh, the psychological aspects of hereditary risk for cancer. Dr. Hurley is a licensed clinical psychologist and conducts consultations and psychotherapy for distress about cancer risk, decision-making about testing and surgery, bereavement, and family communication. She also has adjunct appointments at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York and Teachers College at Columbia University. Uh, Dr. Hurley has given lectures nationally and internationally at, uh, at conferences, universities, medical centers with patient audiences and has conducted workshops on providing psychological support to individuals with a hereditary cancer risk. Welcome, Dr. Karen Hurley. Uh, thanks very much. It's great to be here. Well, both of you bring such important perspectives to, to, to the discussion today, so we're going um, to jump right in. Dr. Hurley, I'm going to start with you so we mm-hmm. can get some facts and a better understanding of the topic today. So, so really, what are the risk factors associated with developing hereditary cancer, specifically, as we mentioned, hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, and does having this genetic mutation really guarantee that someone will develop cancer? Mm-hmm. Okay, great questions. So let's start with uh, just building on what you uh, said in your introduction, that everybody, both males and females, has a BRCA1 gene and a BRCA2 gene, and okay. the issue is whether there's um, a change in one of those genes that predisposes someone to cancer. Now, you can have a change on one of those genes that doesn't really mean anything. It's not in an area that's going to cause any concern. The problem is when you have a change on a location in the gene that uh, does um, put somebody at higher risk for developing cancer. So once somebody has a change in one of those places that could cause cancer, um, uh, the parent has a 50-50 chance of passing that mutation on to one of their children. And for each child, the chance is uh, 50-50. So, for example, if there are four siblings in a family, uh, one person might inherit it or all four of them or none of them. For each person, it's a flip of the coin. So for women who inherit a um, mutation on BRCA1 or BRCA2, um, as you mentioned, the risk of developing breast cancer is estimated to be about 50 to 80% over lifetime. And uh, then once the person has, if she's had breast cancer, there's right. still an elevated chance of getting it again, and that can mm-hmm. be as high as 15 to 40% either in that same breast or in the opposite breast. 
And those figures are different than for women who um, have breast cancer, but it's not due to a mutation. Um, so really you could have the mutation and not get cancer, it's just you have a much correct. more heightened that's risk right. than the general right. population. Exactly, yeah. So it's not, it's not an immediate death sentence, and it also doesn't mean that you have an 80% chance of having it right now. It means that over the course of your lifetime, that those are the odds that you'll be faced with this. And how do people find out if they are at risk? Is it a, is it a blood test? Is it a, what, what is the test? Okay, yes, so it is a blood test, and um, the, the, it's, it's somewhat complicated. It's not always a simple yes or no, do you have it or do you not have it, because okay. these genes are long, and uh, some of the locations on the genes have been well characterized. So if you get the blood test back and you see, okay, you've got a, cha- a change in X location, that means, okay, we know what this is, we know you're at high risk, and then all of the recommendations kick in, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But sometimes uh, that change will land in a place where the research isn't clear whether Mm -hmm. that's associated with a high risk or not. So those we call inconclusive results, and um, a, a large percentage of women who go for genetic testing hoping to get a definite answer actually get back a result that says, uh, we're not sure. So, wow, really frustrating. Yeah, so, so, so that can be a very frustrating situation. Right. Let, so, me, um, let me bring, yeah. Dr. Hur, let me bring Kate into the, uh, into the conversation. Um, Kate, I know that you have had a very close personal connection to cancer throughout the majority of your life. Tell our listeners about your own experience with cancer and about your family's story. Sure. Well, my own personal introduction to cancer came when I was, actually, through my mother, who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And obviously, I was 12, my brother was 16, and this was devastating, absolutely devastating Mm. to us. Um, And so she went through brutal rounds of chemotherapy and had a hysterectomy, and she survived. And we were thrilled, and we felt like, what a wonderful respite. She went on to do some really wonderful things within the community that we'll talk about later. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, About eight years later, um, at the age of 51, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And unfortunately, by the time she was 55, she lost her battle with breast cancer. Mm. And um, about a week later, my 24th birthday fell. So I was still so very young at the time. Yeah. In, in addition to that, about a year later, my first cousin, who was my mother's brother's daughter, at the age of 43 as well, was diagnosed with breast cancer. She mm. survived the breast cancer, but then was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at the age of 45, and she passed away when she was 47. Mm. Um my mother was not able to have any genetic testing performed. This was just around the time that it was becoming readily available to the public. But my yeah. cousin was able to. Yeah. And she, we discovered that she was BRCA1 positive, mutation positive. So right, right. We were starting to understand a little bit more about what that meant for our family at that time. And then, um, Kate, we've got just a couple minutes until we go to our first break here, but, um, but then uh, tell us what, what that started to really mean for you in your life. 
I understood, especially as, as science and technology was really uh, increasing in the information they had to offer the public, that, that that meant something very personal for me and that at some point I would need to make a decision about whether or not I wanted to have genetic testing, which essentially I knew that I would, and then if the test should come back positive for that mutation, what decision would I make? Yeah. And after many years and after a, a lot of experience watching my family really struggle with this, and unfortunately not successfully, yeah. I knew that should the test come back positive, I would want to have preventative surgery. And that's, in fact, what you ended up doing? And that is, in fact, what I ended up doing, yes. So we're talking today on Frankly Speaking about cancer, cancer about hereditary cancer, about genetic testing, about understanding uh, your genetic risk for cancer. Um, we know that it's a complicated topic, but we've got two uh, wonderful guests who are with us today to really help to break this down uh, a little bit to help us understand what it means to have a genetic risk for cancer um, when one decides to potentially get a genetic test and really how to deal with and how to handle uh, how to handle the test results. Um, you know, once you do find out if you have a genetic risk for cancer. When we come back, we're going to dive in uh, a little bit deeper. Um, we are going to uh, talk a little bit more about the ge- genetic uh, about the genetic risk. We want to understand uh, really who should get tested. How do I know if I should get tested? And then. Uh, really, uh, if I do get tested and find that I do have a hereditary risk for breast cancer uh, or ovarian cancer, uh, then what do I do with that information and how do I start to make some decisions? Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. When you looked in the mirror first thing this morning, did you see a big, wide smile? Or did you find something new to not like about yourself, about what you have to do or where you are? Tune in to the Wellness Journey, guided by Linus of PraiseWorks. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Amgen and by Morphotech. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Kate Stern-Gonzalez, a person living with a BRCA1 gene mutation, and Dr. Karen Hurley, clinical psychologist who works with people at risk for hereditary cancer. And our show today is focusing on hereditary cancer and the decision-making process surrounding genetic testing, which we know can be overwhelming um, and really complicated. So, um, so Kate, let's, let, we ended with you. Let's go back to, this, to the story that you started to tell us before the break that your um, mother had both ovarian and breast cancer and, and, and died from that, your cousin as well. Um, and she did test positive for, for BRCA1, and you decided after, after really a long struggle and a long process, you decided to get tested, and you made some decisions about having some surgery as a result of what you learned. Walk us through the decision-making process that you went through to decide to have the genetic testing and really to decide to go ahead with the surgery. Sure. Well, you know, there are many people that I would talk to that would say, why don't you just have the testing done, just have the surgery? And most of those people that would say something like that didn't have a lot of experience with seeing people in their family um, go through this or have surgeries and realize that it's really quite a major decision and it affects your emotions and your body image and, and, and your wallet and so much else. So I knew that I had to make this decision when the timing was right for me um, and so as a single parent, the time became pretty clear when I was ready to do it. Yeah. I found a lump in my breast, and mm. I panicked, and I went to see my breast specialist and had a biopsy, and it turned out to be negative. Mm-hmm. And while I was waiting for the results of the biopsy to come back, I had genetic testing performed, and I started interviewing plastic surgeons. And I thought, okay, I'm ready now. I do not want to have to go home and tell my children that I didn't do everything I possibly could to prolong the amount of time that I can be here with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really centered around that. It's centered around your children. It's centered around my children, and it's centered around myself. I'm not quite done yet. I have a lot that I still want to do. I haven't been to Italy yet. <laughs> I like that. I like it. I like it. The list of things that we, uh, that we all want to do in our lives. Dr. Hurley, um, let, let's, uh, I want our listeners really to understand who should get genetic testing. Um, mm-hmm. what, are, what are the risk factors? What, what should our listeners, you know, what questions should they be asking themselves around whether they should even consider getting a genetic testing for this cancer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Kate's story really illustrates a lot of those points um, because there are certain uh, factors you can see in a family history. I mean, a lot of people will have relatives who've had breast or ovarian cancer, but yes. even with that, you know, most of those cancers are actually going to be what we call the sporadic ones and not the hereditary ones. Okay. So you want to look for things like um, early age of onset. Breast cancer is usually um, a disease of older age, 60, 70, 80. So when you see women getting breast cancer in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 
that's yeah. one red flag. Um, having that pattern of breast and ovarian cancer in the same person or within several people who are on the same side of the family tree, seeing breast cancer in both sides, in, in both breasts. Um, also, um, any case of male breast cancer and, um, and also just uh, being able to trace through the family tree, seeing multiple people um, on the same side. So it can be yeah. passed on from the mother or from the father. That's correct, yes. Right, so that's something that people really do need to understand. Mm-hmm. And is, is part of the issue, Dr. Hurley, the fact that, that we don't necessarily know maybe what our, what our grandparents or great-grandparents died from or perhaps that they died too early to even get cancer? Um, that's very true. Sometimes, if if someone dies early before they might have um, before their risk might have expressed, uh, sometimes uh, records are inaccurate, especially in older generations. Somebody may have desired, uh, died of an abdominal cancer or a stomach cancer that was actually an ovarian cancer, and that would change the mm-hmm. picture um, in terms of looking at the genetic profile. Now, if you have some of these risk factors and you want to get tested, do most insurance companies pay for the testing? At this point, they do. Um, you'd mm-hmm. have to consult the individual uh, carrier, but yes, most of them do now. Right, so if you come and say, look, I have these risk factors, I want to get the test, I mm-hmm. think that, that, that that's important. So let's go now and uh, for a minute and talk about the decision-making process. So Kate obviously had this, uh, the, 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 you know, this family history with her mother, then her cousin who did have the test was BRCA1 positive, um, then Kate had to go through the decision-making process for herself of A, did she want to have the genetic testing, and then B, if she did find out that she was BRCA1 positive, what was she going to do about it? Dr. Hurley, do you tell people that they should know what they're going to do about it before they have the test? Um, absolutely. One of the key questions I say is, you know, you want to know what this test is going to do for you, how is it going to serve your life and serve your health um, to have this test? And people um, are at different stages with that. So, for example, um, you know, uh, Kate expressed it very beautifully. It's an emotional decision as well as a mental decision, and so you have to feel emotionally prepared. Um, so I advise people to look at, you know, what it, what's their level of what other stressors are going on in their lives, what coping skills do they have, who are going to be their support people as they go into this, because it's really important to understand this is a process. It's not, you know, it doesn't start and end with the blood test. What happens then is that once the test results come back, depending on what they say, whether they're positive, negative, or inconclusive, then there are other decisions about should you have mastectomy or not, should you have your ovaries removed or not, and those are each individual decisions. Right. Um, the, um, with the mastectomy uh, decision, the alternative would be to have uh, mammograms um, and or MRIs. Uh, it, it typically now they recommend every six months to follow mm-hmm. intensive screening. And for some women, that's the right decision, at least for a period of time. Now, let me ask you this. Um, let, let's talk about timing for a minute. Mm-hmm. So um, w- w- uh, it, let's say, for example, you have a young woman who is mm-hmm. BRCA1 positive and she uh, is still in childbearing age and hasn't had any children and thinks she might want to have some children down the line. How does someone like that think about this versus someone who, for whom that may not be an issue, let's say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True. So um, would ask her questions about things like, uh, you know, how would she, how would she feel about uh, dating? Um, after, you know, if she's had, you know, either with the knowledge that she's high risk and or 
having had a mastectomy. How does she feel about breastfeeding? And mm-hmm. um, for, in, you know, some women are more prepared to take these challenges on at a younger age than others. Right, right. And Kate, I, I know that you have interacted with so many women um, who, who are in this decision-making process. What are, what are some of the issues that you're hearing uh, from these women? You've talked to us about some of the own, your own issues and decision-making that you faced, but you know, what are you hearing from other women who are confronting this decision? Well, there are multiple issues in multiple directions uh, that they can come from. There are practical and logistical issues, um, finding specialists, and um, choosing the method of risk reduction if that's what they choose to do. Mm-hmm. What will their insurance pay for and if they have insurance and how will they um, cover their medical bills um, and um, uh, who are their support systems? Who, mm-hmm. who is going to be there for them and are they making this decision for themselves and are they prepared to confront the outcome of, of the decision, should they decide to have genetic testing, are they ready to face whatever information they may receive? And either way, it can feel pretty heavy, I think, especially, I would think, if, if it's inconclusive. Um, right. But it, um, Had you decided, Kate, that if, you, if your test came back positive that you were going to have the, the prophylactic bilateral mastectomy? Did you make that decision in advance, or were you going to just wait to see what the results showed and then, and then decide on your, on your surgical decisions? I definitely knew that way in advance. You did? Uh, I did. I did. And some of the issues that I thought that I would struggle with, I didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I found that I was so anxious for so many years just wondering what the outcome would be and wondering what it would feel like. And once I finally found out that I was BRCA1 positive, I found, ironically, a sense of peace, almost soulless, and just knowing. And... Um, so some of those body image issues, especially as a single woman, I'm a single parent, right. and a lot of the issues that I that I was especially concerned about in theory, I found, for me personally, um, didn't exist in the same way in reality. Mm. That's interesting. Interesting. Um, so, so Dr. Hurley, we've got a couple minutes um, until we get to the break, but, but talk to us a little bit more about some of the, the common issues, the common themes that you're hearing from patients. Also, I'm curious, are you counseling patients who are trying to decide whether they want to have the, the test, and are you also counseling people who've had the test and are trying to decide what next steps to take beyond that? Mm-hmm. I meet with people at every step along the way um, on the, the, the spectrum of the decision-making from the testing through surgery and beyond. Mm-hmm. So some of the major issues um, that come up, a part of it is just the heaviness of the decision itself. I mean, this really brings you up against the existential facts of life, if you will. It yes. means, you know, um, cancer, even though it's survivable, um, it still puts mortality on the table. And especially for younger women who are more in that phase of life of building a life, building family, building career, it's, it, it puts them out of step with their peers. So that's yeah. one issue. And then also just taking responsibility for making uh, such a big decision that will change the course of your life. That can make somebody feel very alone. And so just being able to be there with people who are in that process is, is very important. And to talk to others who've perhaps gone through, which I know is a lot of, a lot of what Kate is doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's critical. I know we, we 
talk so much at the cancer support community about getting connected to other people. You know, these kinds of things can make you feel so isolated and so alone, and just the idea of getting connected to others who are going through the same thing that you're going through, others who've gone through the same uh, decision-making process and just understanding how others perhaps arrived at, uh, uh, at some of these difficult decisions about whether to have the test, about whether to have uh, some of these surgeries, which can be, which can be pretty intense. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer today. We're talking about hereditary cancer uh, and genetic testing, particularly when it comes to breast uh, and ovarian cancer. Um, we have two great guests with us today, and um, we are uh, talking about genetic testing, talking about risk, talking about the decision-making process, and talking about how to find support and how to find resources if you are dealing uh, with, with hereditary cancer and have, and have questions uh, about that. We are going to take a, uh, a quick break here, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Genentech and by Bear Onyx. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're joined by Kate Stern-Gonzalez, a young woman who is living with BRCA1 uh, genetic mutation, and Dr. Karen Hurley, a clinical psychologist who has provided psychotherapy and counseling and consultation to over 
275 individuals at risk of developing cancer. Uh, today we're focusing on hereditary cancer, which affects many individuals who are at risk of developing breast and or uh, ovarian cancer. Uh, patient empowerment is really one of the core values associated with the cancer support community philosophy. We want people to feel informed and proactive when uh, they work with their healthcare team so that they can feel more in control uh, of the cancer experience. And many of our educational print books and fact sheets, including, frankly speaking, about ovarian cancer, which is made possible through support from uh, Myriad Genetics, provide information on ways that patients can advocate and partner with their healthcare team so that they can feel empowered throughout the cancer experience. Uh, I'll provide you a little bit more information at the end of the show on how to access some of our free um, educational materials, uh, but I just uh, uh, wanted to, to, uh, to bring that idea of patient empowerment into, uh, uh, into the conversation. Um, Dr. Hurley, you're, you're doing counseling with a, with a large number of folks who are dealing with this, and how does your treatment model really promote the idea of patient empowerment? Mm-hmm. Okay, so for me, that's that's an end goal, and that's that's the ideal when somebody arrives at that feeling of empowerment. Uh, but in my work, um, I find that people need to be able to come to that um, place organically, and some people uh, are on board with that right at the very beginning and can access the information. Other people um, may have feelings of fear and helplessness, and those need to be aired out and heard before they can really get into that place. For example, I worked with one woman who had inherited a uh, BRCA mutation from her abusive father, and for her, having to being then told she needed to have a bilateral mastectomy, for her was uh, a continued violation, him coming back one more time and hurting her. So for her, for me to say, oh, yes, well, now you can be empowered, would have been tone deaf to what this meant to her. So um, I needed to sit with her and really work with her in a different way. Um, But when that empowerment um, emerges, when you hear that authentic voice and you can hear somebody, their their rising sense of self-reliance, it's magnetic and compelling and unmistakable. And that's the thing that really carries people through the process of testing and decision-making to the point where they can really live with this uh, higher risk level and live fully. So, so Kate, you talked a little bit about there was a really a span of years from when your mother died, when your cousin died. You you knew that your cousin uh, was was BRCA one positive. You decide, you really it was a matter of years before you decided to go ahead and undergo um, the testing. So, did you begin to sort of in, feel feel sort of empowered as you thought about whether or not to undergo testing and 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 you know what what process? Did you undertake? Did you did you find resources? Did you talk to other women who had gone gone through that? Really walk us down that path. Sure. It was actually it was two thousand and eight. I was thirty two at the time, and I really found that I could define for myself the meaning of empowerment once I started down this path. Once I decided I wanted to have genetic testing, thank goodness for the internet and for being raised a, a wellness community slash cancer support community baby, as my mom was the founder <laughs> of the local wellness community. <laughs> I, w- I am a resourceful gal, and yeah, yeah, you know, I, I found that the best cure for for the removal of of fear is is ridding yourself of isolation, and so I really tried hard to find my community out there, and I did. I found wonderful organizations like Bright Pink and Like Force and many other organizations that helped connect me to other young women who were at high risk for breast and or ovarian cancer and realized that there are 
quite a few of us out there who have this family history, who have all of the same questions, are in the same place and wondering, what do we do now? What are you yeah. doing? And yeah. who are you talking to? And what do you look like now? And, and how do you feel? And, and finding out that I wasn't alone and that we all really needed each other yes. and forming this bond and forming this community offered the greatest sense of empowerment. It's fantastic. It's really, it's, it's an amazing story. And um, I know, Kate, that, um, you know, you mentioned, obviously, your longstanding relationship with the wellness community there in Cincinnati, that your mother was the founder uh, there, and that, obviously, your uh, your uncle and your family have been very involved locally and nationally for many, many years um, with the organization. Like you said, you were you were raised a wellness baby, so <laughs> that decision-making and, and, and empowerment is, uh, I guess, it, it, you know, that was maybe something else that got passed to you genetically was <laughs> being uh, empowered and being somebody ready to uh, ready to take action. But but what what are some of the ways in which you've utilized the the, the wellness community to, to to get support and and um, tell us about Bright Pink and some of these other resources that you have found along your path. Sure. Well, you know, because Bright Pink, or excuse me, the wellness community, really, I, I, my first introduction to them was in my living room. When, <laughs> when I was a little girl, that's where the first meetings would take place. And um, yeah. so Tai Chi and yoga and the whole philosophy was really ingrained in my brain from a very young age. And isn't that a wonderful thing? And boy, did I find that out later. But um, during the time that my mom was sick, my family was very active in utilizing the wellness community. My father took part in a group, especially afterwards, um, after my mom passed away. Um, and um, my son, even, he was five at the time when my mm-hmm. mom died, um, took part in a group for children called Walking the Dinosaur. And it was just so incredibly beneficial to him, really helpful. Um, yeah. And helping him deal with the loss of his grandmother, they were very, very close. And then how did you learn about Bright Pink? And Bright Pink I found when I started with the genetic testing process. I, I looked online and I found Bright Pink and I found Force as well. And I became especially attached to Bright Pink and hooked up with Lindsay Avner, and, who is the, the executive director of Bright yep. Pink. And Bright Pink, just so you know, is a national nonprofit organization and their mission is to empower young women to be proactive, not just reactive, and to see themselves yes. as advocates for their health. Um, and really, the, once I connected with Lindsay, and then she introduced me to other women throughout the country who were in the same position, within the same age range, you know, between the 20 to 45 or so, somewhere around there, um, who were making the same decisions, I realized how powerful this whole movement was and how important it was to really encourage women to dialogue about this. Yeah, yeah. And and while we're on the subject, Kate, of some great organizations that are out there doing work for uh, for women with cancer, um, let's let's talk for a minute about R- Right Action for Women. And I know that uh, Cancer Support Community, I know you, Kate, I know you, Dr. Hurley, have all come together uh, to partner with Christina Applegate, to partner with Right Action for Women, um, to, to, to help women access resources. So, um, Kate, just tell our listeners a little bit about Right Action for Women. 
stores. Really exciting project, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to be involved. But the Right Action for Women was launched by Christina Applegate, who most knows as an actress, but she's also a breast cancer survivor, and uh, it was to educate women about what it means to be at high risk for breast cancer and to provide assistance to offset the high costs associated with breast screenings. Um, the Right Action for Women is a charitable services fund of the Entertainment Industry Foundation. Um, and actually, you can access it by logging on to www.rightactionforwomen.org. Fantastic. And, and uh, Dr. Hurley, while we're on the subject, I know that there's another great group called FORCE, Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered. Um, tell our listeners about that group and, and your work with that organization. Sure. Um, it's been um, my privilege to be on the advisory boards for both Bright Pink and FORCE. And so FORCE, uh, Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered, was founded in 1999 by Sue Friedman. So she rep- really represents the first cohort of women who were going through genetic testing just as it was becoming available. And so they offer bulletin boards. Uh, they, uh, um, they do a lot of advocacy work and working with legislatures. Uh, and they also have an annual conference uh, giving people with high risk direct access to uh, medical experts in the field, and they do two days' worth of presentations on latest advances in surgery uh, and and also in support topics. So um, I've uh, participated in these uh, conferences and presented about the decision-making process, presented about communicating with children, and um, it really influenced me directly to have um, all of this contact uh, with women who are going through this, and I kept getting the question, so is there anybody like you in California? Is there anybody like you in my hometown who I can talk to to help me through this? And this actually motivated me to uh, leave my research career. There's a lot of good research going, but to really devote myself full-time to clinical practice and also training other psychologists to enter into this specialty. Wow, fantastic. Um, I just want to mention these resources again, and I'll, I'll mention them once more also at the end of the show, but um, certainly at the cancer support community, we've got a, a range of group support programs at our 50 centers across the country where folks can find uh, information, support, um, and that's cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, we mentioned, Kate talked a little bit about the wonderful project that we're doing with, the, with actress and breast cancer survivor Christina Applegate um, to give uh, women information and education uh, uh, particularly young women uh, who are facing cancer and information about testing, information about reimbursement, uh, and there, there is also some uh, uh, some different assistance programs through Right Action for Women, www.rightactionforwomen.org. We talked about a wonderful organization, uh, Bright Pink, BeBrightPink.org. You can find information there and uh, also a group that Dr. Holy mentioned, Facing Our Risk of Cancer, Empowered, and that website is facingourrisk.org. Um, Dr. Hurley, at, at that site, at with uh, with uh, the uh, that that organization, facing our risk of cancer, empowered. Is there more information about who should get uh, who should get genetic testing? What the risk factors are that you should be looking for? I imagine our audience probably has questions about. Um, well, gosh, I know my grandmother died uh, from breast cancer. Does that mean? that I should have genetic testing? Um, where, can, where can women really find information to ask those questions and understand whether they actually should go and seek genetic testing? 
Mm-hmm. So both of the um, both of the um, sites that we talked about, Force and Bright Pink, have uh, very good information um, on on there, uh, giving more explicit detail about uh, the mechanics of genetic testing and where to uh, locate a genetic counselor to go get testing, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think we lost uh, lost the connection there to Dr. Hurley. So we just want to let folks know that if they go to the to the Force website, facing our risk of cancer empowered, uh, and if they go to the Bright Pink uh, website, so bebrightpink.org and facingourrisk.org, um, that you can find information about really what the risk factors are, what questions you should ask uh, to really understand about whether you should even uh, even consider a genetic test and what that might mean for you. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer today. We are talking about uh, hereditary cancer. We're talking about genetic testing really to understand uh, the risk factors for cancer, what it means to have uh, hereditary cancer to be, uh, to, to, to be BRCA1 or BRCA2 positive, to have that genetic mutation and uh, whether you should get tested for that, um, the resources, the counseling services that are available, the questions you should be asking, uh, and then perhaps some of the surgical or, or other treatment decisions that you may need to make um, once you find out uh, your status. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Are you finding fitness a chore? Is health and nutrition too time-consuming for you? It doesn't have to be like that at all. Tune in to Fit Fan for Fun, Lifestyle Fitness with your host, Shira Litwack. Every week, Shira and her guests will show you the fun side of fitness. We'll invite you to send topic suggestions and questions via email, as well as call into the program. You'll get sensible fitness and nutrition advice in a relaxed and fun program. You won't look at fitness as an enemy ever again. Fit Fan for Fun airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Many people in our country are affected by hereditary cancer. And on today's show, we are joined by Kate Stern-Gonzalez, who lives with a BRCA1 gene mutation, and Dr. Karen Hurley, a clinical psychologist who supports people with a predisposition for hereditary cancer. We, uh, we uh, lost Dr. Hurley there for just a minute or two, so I just want to jump back in, uh, Dr. Hurley, with my question, which was really the idea of, of how, how does uh, someone who's had some history of breast or ovarian cancer in their family even begin to understand if they should, if they should get tested? Um, you know, maybe my grandmother died from breast cancer. Does that, does that instantly mean that I should get genetic testing for, uh, you know, for the BRCA gene um, mutation? Where can folks find information about how they start to ask these questions, understand if there's somebody who, who really should uh, potentially consider getting, getting the test? Okay, yes, there's two levels to that question. So to pick up where we left off, um, uh, these websites, especially uh, Force, I mentioned that they have their um, annual conference for people who are uh, living with high risk. They actually have archives online with uh, videos from previous uh, conferences so that people can access information mm. and actually see what it's like to be there. The other thing I would really recommend is that someone consult a genetic counselor if they have any question about that at all. Part of the genetic counseling process is to evaluate whether genetic testing would even be informative or useful for that particular person. You can see a genetic counselor without actually having to have a genetic test, and having a genetic test does not mean that you automatically have to have surgery, which is sometimes uh, something that people worry about. And I think that, Dr. Hurley, it's important, as I mentioned earlier, that if you want to see a counselor, if you want to have genetic testing and you know, you really want to understand whether or not your insurance company will pay for that, that you really should call your insurance company in advance to ask if they, in fact, do cover these types of services, yes? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, they can ask about um, cancer risk counseling and even, even cancer prevention services. It's called different things by different companies, but yes. Great, great, because I think that that's important. Uh, for folks to, you know, really understand that they, uh, that they really need to call and find out if these services are reimbursed through their insurance company before they take on some of these things, which can be, in fact, a considerable um, expense. Um, we are moving towards the end of our show. Um, Kate, I, I love the fact that um, you, you know, you talked about really, you talked about your kids, your son and your daughter, and how important they are to you and, and how that was a, certainly a really important factor in your decision-making, you talked about how you haven't been to Italy yet, which, uh, <laughs> and those kinds of things that, I, that are important about all the things that you want to do um, in your life. But, but how do you approach life now uh, with the knowledge that you do have this genetic risk, you've, ha- you've undergone um, this uh, preventative surgery? Um, how do you approach life now? Has your perception um, on life changed as a result of all that you've been through? It absolutely has changed. It, you know, like I said, when I found out that I was BRCA1 positive, ironically enough, as devastated as I was and as concerned as I was, especially for my, for my children, considering that I could possibly pass this along to them, there was such a sense of peace in finally knowing. And that sense of peace has remained for me. And again, you know, this is a very individual response and individual process, but this has been my, my personal response. And 
um, I feel like I don't let my world upset quite as easily. I'm really mm-hmm. am, am clearer on who I am and what I want, and um, and I feel really open in, in being able to talk to other women about this. I feel comfortable doing it, whereas before I couldn't because I wasn't ready to be that clear with myself. You know, you mentioned something, Kate, that I thought was really interesting. Um, give me your take on this. Uh, you said there were people in your life who said to you, just go get the test. <laughs> just, just go ahead and do it. Don't you want to know? Just go get the test. I mean, what, you know, what, um, why do you think folks say that? I mean, do you think that it's just a certain type of person that, would, that, that, that takes that approach, or do you think it's just maybe ignorance and folks just really not understanding kind of all of the ramifications of, of getting a test like this? You know, what do you think goes into folks, kind of try, you know, folks who tried to kind of push you towards that? Well, you know, I, I think it's probably a combination of factors. One factor may be that they probably really cared about me and they want to see me well and they want to see me do everything that I can to preserve my health. Yes. Um, and also at the same time, not seeing the big picture or not truly yeah. understanding. I mean, the truth is we all do that to other people at some point. And hopefully yeah. if we're self-aware, we can stop and say, you know what, I'm I'm sorry, I'm you know, I don't know how it feels to be in your shoes. I will respect whatever decision you make whenever you need yeah. to make it. But do we do that all the time? Of course not. <laughs> um. Right. Yeah. And how do you think about, Kate, so you have two children. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, when does somebody get tested for this, uh, you know, for this gene? How do you talk to your children uh, about this, about the potential that... They may have um, inherited this. What's a, you know? What, what do we know about that? That's a great question. And my and my first answer is with a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Dr. Hurley would concur. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. This is this was a very careful process, and I found that delivering the information to them that was appropriate for their age and appropriate for what they wanted to know works best for us. Um, I try not to give them more information that they need, but at the same time, I don't want them to ever feel as though I am denying them the information that they want. How old are your children now, Kate? My children are 12 and 17. My understanding is that you can get tested starting when you're 18, but I think that may be sort of on a case-by-case basis. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, Dr. Hurley, what, is the, what, what do we know about that? Well, the recommendation is actually to hold off on testing till about the age of 25 because that's when the uh, risk associated with the mutation actually starts to kick in. Uh, so uh, that's when uh, mammograms would be started if the person's going to start on intensive surveillance. So between that age of 18 and 25, there really is no medical action that would be taken. So for an 18-year-old to learn that she has the risk and then do nothing mm-hmm. for all that time and, and just be burdened by it, perhaps when she doesn't yet have the, um, the full adult emotional uh, coping skills that she's going to have later right. on. Um, it might be just too much too soon. Right, right. One of the things I've said to my children is, and actually I remember my mom saying this to me when I asked her about this, and that is, yes. by the time you're at the age where you may need to confront some decisions, I believe that so much will have changed. Mm, interesting. Yes. Covered so much more, 
and the name of the game right now is not going to be the same name of the game later. Interesting. So mm-hmm. let's just try and live life for right now and enjoy being kids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Advice, good advice. So um, we are coming to the end of our show. You both have been just fantastic. Um, I want to take a few minutes to go back over some of the resources that we mentioned earlier in the show. Um, as I mentioned, the Cancer Support Community developed, frankly speaking, about, uh, about cancer, a booklet about ovarian cancer. It's a downloadable fact sheet that provides information about hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, uh, as well as to- uh, many, many tools to navigate a, a, a cancer diagnosis and deal with some of the risk involved um, uh, with cancer. So to access the fact sheet, other educational materials to find the list of all of our 50 affiliates and 100 satellite programs across the country, please visit www.cancersupportcommunity.org or you can call 888-793-9355. I want to mention three other organizations uh, that are close friends uh, of the cancer support community, uh, certainly Right Action for Women, which was founded uh, by, by uh, actress, uh, breast cancer survivor, and our friend Christina Applegate, um, rightactionforwomen.org, uh, uh, the organization Bright Pink, again, another partner of ours, bebrightpink.org, and uh, the organization Force, um, which, is, uh, which can be found at facingourrisk.org. Uh, I want to thank you guys. You were wonderful on the show today. Really helped to shed a lot of light on a very complicated topic. I want to uh, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank our listeners. I'm, I'm, I know we all learned a lot uh, from the show today. And, and um, in the spirit of our discussion today, I'd like to dedicate the show to all people who've been affected by hereditary cancer. This is Kim Tebaldo with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management